as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we want to come and thank you today for the the reality, the truth that Jesus lives. In the season of Easter, as we continue our celebration of the resurrection, we're reminded of your power to conquer death and our enemy. And all of the the ways in which the evil one works in this world, you are victorious. And we come today to praise you and to honor you 
and to give you glory. We come today to pour out our hearts to you, Father. We thank you for all the ways that you're at work in our world and in our lives. We know that you care about the burdens that we face. And this morning, we, uh, we come to offer our prayers to you, knowing that you hear us and that you're at work. We pray today for, for all who are grieving. And we think especially of Jane Allen and her family at the death of her sister this week. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Brian Maston and Joe Breton, for Cheryl O'Brien and Storer Emmett, Ben King and Doris Esepian, for Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, for Laurel Buker, Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muker and Mike Raybuck and Bevrett, and for Micah Christensen and Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar and others who are on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church and how we encourage each other and teach each other and we uh, learn from one another. We thank you for the ministries of the churches around us. Today we pray for the St. John's Episcopal Church in Wellsville and Pastor Stewart. May your blessing rest upon this congregation. May they be united in their love for you and for one another. And may that love spread to the people of their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for uh, our world. We know that there are so many needs in our world. We know you're at work in our world as well. We pray, Father, for uh, your church around the world. We want to give you thanks for all of the, the, um, the people who are serving in other places of the world, particularly those who are uh, generations of graduates from Houghton College. We thank you for the calling you placed on their lives and for their willingness to, to follow you where you lead. We thank you, Father, for your grace upon them. And whether their ministry is in uh, a place hundreds and hundreds of miles away or in a place closer to their home, as they serve you in obedience and openness, May they know the blessing of your spirit upon their ministry and lives. We thank, Father, of our brothers and sisters around the world who every day, every week, face the, uh, the, the pressure of opposition and threats and violence. And we pray that you would protect them. We pray, Father, that, that you would uh, help them to know your grace upon them and our prayers, our love, our support. We pray, Father, that you would give them relief and courage and the power of your spirit to live in love and compassion and truth, even in such difficult circumstances. Father, we thank you for hearing all of our prayers. We thank you for your love and grace and mercy at work in our lives, the lives of those connected to us and in this world that you've created and love. We offer these prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On this day when we're uh, recognizing and honoring our graduating college students, We wanted to have a testimony in each service of someone maybe you don't know well but has been amongst us and we want them to share a bit of what God has done during their college years. So I'm privileged to introduce Emily Berry. Got to know her this year as our prayer leader for the Koinonia uh, worship that goes on every Sunday evening, uh, co-sponsored by our church or sponsored by our church. And uh, she's from Pennsylvania. She's in her national development major. She studied abroad, but when she's here, I've seen her at Houghton Church and I've grown to really appreciate her. Emily, you want to share? Hi. So like Pastor Paul said, my name is Emily. Um, And when I was asked to share, I wasn't exactly sure what to say because when I'm thinking about God's faithfulness over the last four years, um, just by his grace, there's been so many different instances. But as we were talking, we decided that um, one good example could be that Um, In just a few weeks, I get to travel down to Memphis, and I'll be taking a job with World Relief, an organization that serves refugees, Um, and I'll be working with refugee women, helping them find and keep jobs, and I'm really excited about that, and it's obviously a very tangible way um, that God has provided for me, Um, and I'm super excited about it, but even just beyond that, um, getting to this place and thinking back on the last four years, I've just been really overcome by how God goes um, before us and behind us, and he walks alongside of us too. Um, Thinking about how God has used Houghton to prepare me for this next step, Um, even coming to Houghton, I didn't really want to come to Houghton at first, um, but I was eventually um, feeling drawn to this place Part of the reason because of its focus on global engagement and um, the way that there are just so many different opportunities to um, um, show others um, Jesus' love by serving them both spiritually and physically and having the opportunity to work with ministries like Journeys and Tutoring in Buffalo um, or just how God drew me to Buffalo one summer when I was supposed to go to the Dominican Republic and I did not want to spend a summer in Buffalo, but I had the opportunity to live alongside refugees and work with them and live with them and love them. Um, or even this semester, working on my senior seminar projects, taking trips to Buffalo and being welcomed by a community of Bangladeshis on the east side, um, and that having lots of challenges to go with it, but also just seeing God's faithfulness through that and how it's been really great to prepare me for this next adventure. And um, yeah, I'm just really overcome with the idea that God works in the big things and he works in the small things. Um, and he's working for his glory and for our good. And I just want to say thank you to um, the Houghton Wesleyan community and the Houghton College community in general. Um, and just the ways that God has used you to show me more about himself, and I've seen that he's faithful and he's good, and um, he just lavishes just grace upon grace upon us, and um, the ways that he's used you to show me um, more about himself and his people that he's made and his world. So whether it's 
you know, in a really official capacity, like a professor who just let me come into their office and ask probably way too many questions, or um, someone here who's opened up their home to me and let me come over and just think through things, or um, the church having lunch for college students, it means a, a lot to us. So just thank you for the way that you've allowed God to use you and work through you, and um, just show us more of him and his goodness um, through what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I just pray that God would continue to um, teach you more about himself and show you just that he would grow your love for him and that you would... Um, just have the opportunity to love him deeper and serve him better. So thank you. Um, God bless you guys. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Rises with it. 
take a, a few moments to, um, to recognize and also to spend a little bit of time praying for our college graduates. And at the end of May, we'll do the same thing for our high school graduates. But uh, we want to, uh, want to have a opportunity to do that now. So I know this might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but that's a, it won't be for long. But uh, I want to ask all those of you who are graduated from college this year to stand. We have a bookmark we want to give you that just simply is the blessing of... Um, of Numbers 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. So if you're a college graduate, I'm going to ask you to stand. Yeah, if you're graduating, yeah, if you're graduating here this, this year. Okay, we have a few here, all right, great. So hand that out to you. And as we're doing that, we also want to spend a few moments praying for you. So if you are seated near a graduate... I'm going to ask you to uh, maybe get uh, four or five people around, maybe just quickly introduce, let them introduce themselves to you, and then offer a word of prayer for them. If you, maybe two or three of you want to pray for them, if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's okay, but a few of you maybe can. Uh, if, you're, if you're not around a graduate, or if you're watching on the streaming, uh, we encourage you to just pray for the graduates in general. If you're here, we're going to put up a slide on the screen with a few things to pray about. So if you want to gather around the graduates now, they're sort of spaced out here a little bit. Just go ahead and stand if you don't mind doing that. You can walk toward them, walk around them if you want. And it's just been a few moments uh, praying for these graduates, asking God's grace and blessing upon them uh, as they finish the semester and also in the year ahead.
Father, I pray for Will as he uh, enters into this uh, park service this summer. And I pray that you would bless him. He's got a big task of leadership and overseeing a number of people. And I ask. Father, we thank you for uh, all of our, our graduates that are connected to us. We thank you for uh, their lives, for the gifts you've given them, for the blessings you've placed upon them. Thank you for the challenges that they have been able to overcome through your spirit. And we pray, Father, that as they uh, go through the next couple of weeks, they will finish well, that they will uh, be able to have some some. Uh, even more special time in uh, their close relationships. I pray, Father, that this will be a time when they uh, really affirm their desire to know you and to follow you, and that you will affirm for them the presence of your Spirit in them. Father, we ask that you would be glorified in each of their lives. As they look to the future, there are some that have clear plans of next steps. Others, there's a lot of uncertainty. We ask that you would give peace, wisdom, And may they have hearts that trust you about whatever lies ahead. May they remember this day and our prayers. And may they know that we will continue to pray for them in the days ahead. And we look forward to hearing your your work in their lives and the stories of your grace poured out upon them in so many ways. We ask that your your spirit would surround them with protection, with grace, and with the confidence of who you are. And we pray all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen.
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that... I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I had harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. And give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will not have and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. 
Before you're seated, uh, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. So uh, four years ago, almost uh, in the spring or in the fall, uh, I, Cindy and I taught a couple of classes at the college, and uh, I taught first half of the semester, and she and I together taught another class second half of the semester. And one of the students that we got to know in that class was Will Bruno. Actually, Will was in both of the classes, so we had a good chance to connect with him and get to know him a bit. And it was evident to us right away that uh, Will had. Uh, gifts and abilities about ministry, but also that he had such a heart for Jesus. And uh, we so enjoyed getting to know all the students in the class. We were able to continue an ongoing connection with Will as well as a few others. And uh, it's been just such a great privilege this semester to have Will here as our intern. And he has uh, done a variety of things. We're trying to give him sort of an overall view of pastoral ministry throughout the church. And so he's been, uh, he's been in a variety, some of you have been in meeting, committee meetings with him, or you've seen him uh, doing a variety of things. And uh, we, we wanted to give him the opportunity to share this morning, to preach to the whole congregation. And on this day when we honor college graduates, it seemed appropriate to have him share. So I'm excited about Will coming to speak to us today, to share the word of God. And I know that uh, we have open hearts to hear and receive. Good morning.
it's signaling to me. There we go. That's a little better. All right. Technical difficulties. How's that? Is that better? All right. And the thought occurred to me, um, have you ever risked something? I, uh, I was with my, uh, my older brother, Dave, who some of you re- might remember, graduated from Houghton uh, in 2015. And I was with him earlier the, uh, this past summer in August when uh, he decided that it was about time to propose to his then-girlfriend, Stephanie, who also graduated from Houghton. And uh, so I went up with Dave to, uh, to Buffalo, where he was going to propose. And um, this was in August. And we wanted to minimize as many mistakes as possible. So we sort of did a dry run of, of what was going to go down beforehand. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, he knew that he wanted to propose on the end of a, a pier in Buffalo. So, like, earlier in the day, he and I walked out. It was, like, a two-mile walk out. So, you know, I really love my brother. But uh, we, <laughs> we walked out to the end of the pier and um, kind of put up some little battery-powered lights around the end of it, made it look all pretty. And um, then for the, for the actual, you know, the real deal, my job was to go down to the end of the pier before uh, Dave and Steph got down there. And there's, like, this drop-off where you go down to the water and there's like this little uh, rock face that kind of goes in. And I, I had to like squirm my way down into this little rock face with like nasty spiders and cobwebs all around. And at my job was I had this uh, camera to document the event. I had a GoPro video recorder strapped to my forehead. <laughs> and anyone who... Uh, Anyone who came to the end of the pier before Dave and Steph got down there, I would kind of crawl up and say, could you please go away? My brother's about to propose. So (laughs) most people were pretty understanding, but uh, there were a few people that I could tell were like, really, I just walked two miles out here to come see the sunset. Like, you know, so so that was interesting. But, uh, But it was good. And then when he finally got down to the end of the pier, he got down on a knee. And he had a question. On Tuesday, October 29th, 1929, America witnessed as Wall Street investors traded 16 million shares of stock on the New York Stock Exchange in a single day. Billions of dollars were lost, and thousands of investors were wiped out in that one day. This event would later become known as Black Tuesday. And this was the single most important event that triggered the start of what we now call the Great Depression. And this is the single, uh, I was reading one source said that this was the single, the start of the single deepest and longest lasting economic downturn in the history of Western industrialized world. As I just said a couple of minutes ago, um, I'm the intern here at the church this semester, and uh, you, you all knew from day one that I'd be leaving at the end of the semester. I'm graduating. And Pastor West knew that and the, the whole ministry team. And yet, what's astonishing to me is you chose to invest in me 
even though you knew I would be leaving. And you parents in the room, you know, I was reflecting upon it, and you guys are you're really kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, you willingly sign up to dedicate at least 20 years of your life to an individual that you know from the get-go is going to grow up, and the plan is for them to leave you. It's really quite astonishing that anyone wants to have kids. But in this passage that we just read in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us a parable about three servants and the bags of money, some translations call it talents, um, that he entrusted to them. To the one he gave five, to another two, and to the last one. I think um, we can gather some ideas from this, uh, from this parable fairly quickly about the, the type of master that um, is being talked about here. It was obviously a fairly successful businessman or, or some other form of uh, a trader to accumulate this amount of wealth. This would have been a great wealth for an individual in that time. And what's astonishing to me is that the master decides to give a portion of his wealth to these servants. Now, from what we can gather from the passage, these servants, you know, they're not the Warren Buffetts of their day. These are not like the financial brokers that you'd, you'd think are really experienced guys. They're just referred to as servants. So and these very well could have been the guys that the day before were out planting carrots in the garden, you know, and like the masters, okay, come on, here's, here's a whole bunch of money, and I want you to invest in it. And I could even see the master doing this if he maybe wanted to train up uh, people that could help grow his wealth in the future. But I think if you're anything like me, you would at least watch these servants very closely as you entrust your wealth to them to make sure that they're handling it appropriately in the way you would. But the, the master doesn't do this at all. He simply gives them his wealth, and then it says he leaves on a journey. Now, in this parable, the master, of course, is Jesus. The servants are his audience, or you and me. And the, the bags of money represent anything that we've been given, um, including money, but it could be a variety of other things as well. When I read the passage, and it talks about Jesus' reaction to the servant, the third servant who, uh, who buried his wealth, my initial thought is, well, Jesus, aren't you being kind of harsh? Like, at least the guy didn't, you didn't come back and it wasn't like, well, sorry, you're a million dollars in debt. You know, I guess I kind of screwed up on that one. I mean, the other guys doubled your money. Can't you be grateful that you made a pretty big profit? At least you didn't lose the wealth you already had. And for a long time, I was scared because I believe this passage is addressing those that were following him. And I thought to myself, well, I hope I'm not burying my bag of coins. I hope I'm not going to be thrown out into eternal darkness one day because I realize that I haven't done enough. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is saying at all because we fundamentally cannot work our way to salvation. So I believe that this is a, comes from a misunderstanding of who God is, much as the servant had. See, the servant feared God, which is a good thing. We are commanded to fear God. Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But it is the wrong type of fear that the servant has here. It's a type of fear that petrifies one and immobilizes. 
I was uh, thinking about a story that I read when I was a child, the Swiss Family Robinson. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but um, there's a there was a part in the book that I, I stuck with me even to this day, where the family was going hunting, and as they were approaching, there was a there was a deer, and they got closer and closer to this deer, and it didn't move. And they thought it was kind of strange, but they were happy for the, you know, for the easy kill. So they, they killed the deer. And it wasn't until afterward that they looked up and realized that there was a huge deadly snake wrapped around the tree directly above the deer. And it was, was because of the fear that the deer had that it was petrified and immobilized. Now, I don't think necessarily that the Swiss family Robinson, I'm not saying it's the inspired word of God or anything like that, but... Uh, I do find it somewhat ironic that it was a snake that immobilized the deer with fear. I think in much the same way, the devil, who's the father of lies, twists the words of God and twists our understanding of it, and goes, which goes from a healthy fear of God, which is an awe and a reverent fear that brings us to a place of worship and contorts it to a fear of the presence of God a fear of being around God. I think that's what the servant had. You know, I was out in Colorado this past week for a, um, a conference, and while I was there, there was a lot of meetings, but I did have the opportunity at one point to get out to Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you've ever been out there, you know it's absolutely spectacular. The views are breathtaking. And as I was uh, driving up the, the road... It, if you've ever been to a national park, doesn't it always seem like there are always windy roads on the edge of a cliff? It just always happens that way. But I was driving up the road, and down below, it was sunny and clear, and it was a beautiful day. And as I got higher, it started to white out all around me. And it was snowing, and this was just last week. And like we were kind of got up into like a cloud. And I, couldn't, I could see the people around me, but I couldn't see any of the valley or anything. And it just brought me to a place of like, wow, God, you're awesome. You are mighty and majestic. And I think that's the healthy type of fear that God wants us to have of him. In this passage in Matthew, rather than fearing the master and fearing his return, what the servant should have had was an idea of the love that the master had for him by entrusting him with his money in the first place. And with that love, he could have seen that the master also giving him a gift expects him to give that to others as well. That's essentially what investing is at its core. It's an act of letting go in the hopes and expectation that what you have will grow by you letting go and that you will receive higher dividends in the end. I think a lot of times, if we're honest, we're kind of the same way as the servant. We worry and fear and let these worries of life get in the way of trusting God in our relationship with others. Relationships are messy. And although that's what God calls us to, we can worry a lot. You know, you as a church cared for me this semester, and you and as parents care for your children. And I was reflecting upon, why is that? It's because you think that there is potential in each of us, and because you love us, you pour yourselves into us. And that's what God does. He's a God who loves and who made you and me and who sent his own son to die for us. Yet we are the people 
the types of people that hung him on the cross, the people that went to church or to synagogue every week. And yet he still died for us. You know, when Dave was proposing to uh, Stephanie this August, the reason he was nervous, as I think anyone who was in that situation would be, is because he had poured so much into that relationship. It was actually five years to the day since they had first met. And for those five years, he had been investing time and energy and effort into nourishing and building that relationship. And it got to a point where he had given her everything he could, except for one thing. He could give, him, he could give her him, his very self. And that's what he was offering her that day on the pier. He was offering her all that he was, with the hopeful expectation that she would reciprocate, but also giving her the option to say no. And that's why it's so dangerous, and that's why he was nervous, and that's why relationships are messy, is because to truly love, there's always the option of rejecting that. Now, thankfully, she uh, she's realized how much he was offering of himself, and her reaction was to say, well... I see how much you must love me. The only response that I can possibly give is to love you in the same way and offer myself back. And that's exactly the type of love that I think Christ wants us to have. Even though it's risky, he still wants us to put ourselves out there and risk relationship with others. I think there's something inside each of us that is made to risk We know this because Christ did it first for us, and as humans made in the image of God, I believe we have this urge to risk, which is, you know, when you think about it, why else do people go skydiving or bungee jumping? I mean, it doesn't really make any sense. You're putting your life in harm's way, but there's this sense inside each of us that we know we're made to risk. I think the reason Jesus, or the master in this story, was so angry with the servant was not because he didn't get more stuff in return. Jesus doesn't really care about stuff. He cares about the heart and the human condition of you and me. You know, in this passage, um, I don't believe it's any coincidence where it's located. It's located um, directly before the passage of the final judgment, where if you look in your um, scripture, I can just read it for you here. Um, In Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36, it says, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, inv- in, and you, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, if you read the rest of this passage you'll see that the people who were on Jesus' right, the ones who were doing these things, they didn't even think they were doing anything unusual. That's because they had a heart transplant. They had a fundamental change at the core of who they were. Their very DNA was changed into a kingdom economy, a way of doing things. I believe Jesus was so angry with the one servant is because he that buried his coin was still in an old way of doing things. See, the way that the kingdom of God is going to function for all of eternity is that when we get something, we pass it on. We don't view it as our own. And that includes the gift of salvation. 
the gift of the gospel. See, I think Jesus really wasn't, or the master really wasn't being mean in this story, but really what he was doing was just turning the servant over to his own desires that he already had. He was just letting the servant say, okay, if you want to be selfish and keep this for yourself, then you can do that. But that's going to be in a place that is separated from the very presence of God. So he gives them over to that. The kingdom economy is one where we give of ourselves and all we have. Jesus gave some great practical examples of this in that passage I just read in verses uh, 35 and 36, where he uh, lists a number of different people. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm kind of a list guy, so I really appreciate any time that the Bible gives me a list of something. I don't think this is at all exhausted and exhaustive, and I don't mean it to be uh, any sense of legalism. But I do appreciate when, when there is something I can kind of look at. And Jesus gives that here. With hungry and thirsty people, thankfully, we are at a church that has an amazing food pantry ministry. So that's a great way to get involved with that. Welcoming strangers. I can tell you first hand from personal experience that there are a lot of college students just up the hill and some of them may seem normal at first but a lot of them are pretty strange so they fit this uh description pretty well and if if you ever wanted to have one of them over for a meal i'm sure that would just make their week jesus also talks about visiting the sick you know pastor paul he visits the uh the nursing home the absolute care up the hill every single week I'm sure he'd love some company. And it also talks about visiting those in prison. Uh, Patty Stocker and Christine Hageman, I know, visit the jail in a jail ministry. I hope you see that we are truly blessed to have so many amazing opportunities just at this church alone to serve. And there are other ways that we can get involved, too, not just in this church. But I certainly don't say any of these things to guilt trip anyone or to make it seem like there's, there's a checklist that we have to get gain God's approval because we can't. But I do think that relationships are hard and messy, and that's why Christ calls us into that. For the same God who clothes the lilies of the field and knows about the sparrows that fall, loved you and me enough to send his son to die for us. I think he can handle us putting ourselves out a little bit in some relational difficulties. You know, on Black Tuesday of uh, 1929, as the stock market crashed, people lost confidence in the system. They started pulling their money out of investments. They started pulling their money out of the banks and hiding it under their mattresses instead. They didn't trust anymore. They didn't want to risk because they had been burned. Maybe you've been burned in some type of relationship before. Maybe you've, maybe some... Uh, relationship that's crashed in your face has caused you to go into your own Great Depression. However, the Great Depression didn't last forever. On December 7th, 1941, a day that will be remembered in infamy, the Japanese launched a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, which plunged the nation into a state of, heart, of sickness of heart, and America was launched into all-out war against the Axis powers. On June 6, 1944, the Allies launched the greatest nautical invasion ever seen. On D-Day, they stormed the beaches of Normandy 
and started to liberate Europe. Maybe you've experienced your own Black Tuesday moment and there's been a relational investment that's backfired on you. Maybe there's someone here today who feels like even God's relationship with you has crashed. Maybe it's a coworker or a family member, even a church. You know, Black Tuesday wasn't the first time that the world has seen an investment go bad. I don't know if it was or not, but I'd like to think that Genesis chapter 3 happened to be on a Tuesday. You know, God made the greatest risk and investment that he ever could have. He made humanity in his own image. He walked with them. He talked with them. He poured his very being emotionally into them. And then in Genesis chapter 3, they had a choice. And they chose to turn their backs on God. On Good Friday, Satan had his own day of infamy where he thought that he had the victory. But then on Easter Sunday, Christ rose in his D-Day and defeated death, sin, and Satan. You may be going through the Great Depression of your own life, or you may feel like there's a war going on and there's a struggle to just get up every day. And let me affirm you, there is a war going on, and that is real. But friend, here's the good news. It's that we live on the other side of that D-Day. And although... People still lost their lives between D-Day and V-Day. We know who holds the victory. God risked everything for his stiff-necked people in the kind of investments that don't make any sense. But he did it so that we would no longer be separated from God. When Christ hung there on that tree that day, he cried out, My God, my God, so that you and I could cry out, My Father, my Father and no longer be separated from him. He asks us to risk in this same type of way in our lives. He asks us to do what he first did for us. Christ enabled us to trade in a kind of life defined by Black Tuesday principles for one that's liberated by Good Friday. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you for risking for us. We thank you for setting this example and for, Lord, for giving us ways to participate in your kingdom economy here on earth. We pray that your kingdom come and your will would be done. And we pray that your name would be lifted up always and that you would be with us through the struggles and the good times. And we know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to call the worship team up at this time. Please stand as we sing together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them. 
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.